0: Welcome to Dreamland, a program dedicated to an examination of areas in the human experience not easily nor neatly put in a box. Things seen at the edge of vision, awakening a part of the mind as yet not mapped, and yet things every bit as real as the air we breathe but don't see. This is Dreamland. Sunday evening and indeed this is Dreamland. Good evening everybody. I am Art Bell. and. We've got, uh, I think, a very interesting show this evening. Uh, As usual, Linda Howe, she tells me she's got quite a report for you this evening. Uh, Linda Howe, generally regarded uh, across the world as uh, the preeminent uh, expert, I guess, in crop circles, animal mutilations, uh, and uh, their connection to UFOs. Uh, so we'll do that, and then we'll follow it with John Rhodes. Uh, John Rhodes uh, has been investigating the, U. Uh, the uh, human-reptilian connection. And aside from knowing some individuals that I might put in that class, or at least descended from that class, I don't know very much about the subject. Uh, he will also talk to us about underground bases a little bit. Now that would certainly make sense if you're talking about the reptilian connection, I guess. At any rate, we will explore all of that this evening. So I'm looking very much forward to it, and in just one moment, Linda Howe. And he got a letter from John Rhodes, and I'll read to you in part what he said. Uh, Art, in recent years, I have been researching and lecturing about UFOs, underground bases, and occulted archaeology. I've also placed the emphasis in my research on the connection between the ancient an intelligent bipedal race of serpent beings called reptilians and human beings. These investigations have yielded numerous religious, cultural, and genetic links that provide extremely compelling evidence to the fact that we are genetic descendants of a highly technologically advanced race of alien reptilian beings living on our planet. Now, that ought to be uh tease enough for you, and I, I'll, I'll add a little something to that. I've received information from a number of guests that we are going to book in the future that also maintain that if not reptilian, certainly there has been a very advanced, and there is evidence of, a very advanced civilization that has lived here on Earth previously. And that's always interesting since we're here now And I I assume we would not, we'd prefer not being relics of some future civilizations examination. So we'll get all uh, into that in a moment. Bell. It is the CBC Radio Network. It is indeed. In one moment, the human reptilian connection. And I think most of us would like to hope there isn't one. And now, coming from not very far away, actually, um, Henderson, Nevada. Here is John Rhodes. John, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Dart.
0: It's good to have you.
2: It's good to have you too. And by the way, happy birthday! I got wind that it was your birthday on Saturday.
0: It was indeed. Oh, it's a wonderful birthday, John. wonderful um john uh, i don't know where to start tell us a little if you would about yourself i guess first okay um, who who is john rhodes
2: john rhodes is a gentleman of about 34 years of age um uh when i was younger i lived most of my life overseas my parents were uh one was a, a swimmer my mother and my father was uh a pilot that used to work for Air America which was an old CIA operative that's right and I had the opportunity as a child to live a lot of different places overseas including uh, Vietnam when I was 6, 7 and 8 and uh, over in the Middle East in Beirut, Lebanon and then I came back to the United States here of course completed my education and uh, it wasn't until about five or six years ago I started getting interested in uh, what was going on as far as the UFO field and, and unexplained phenomenon, because I felt that there, were just, there was just something that wasn't right as far as the reality in which we were living.
0: Well, you heard me say, uh, I'm sure a little while ago, I've had a lot of guest information lately from people who have been studying for some time the possibility that a civilization existed uh, here on Earth uh, long before we ever did, and that though there are artifacts, they are few, and most of the evidence of their existence has been erased. Uh, Does that fit in with what you believe?
2: That fits in. They've either purposely been erased, in my opinion, or else they've been erased due to natural uh, geological changes, including uh, being sunken into the Earth uh, underground. And I think most Mm -hmm. recently we started as human beings being aware of the actuality of these civilizations, not only by seeing things above the surface, such as the great pyramids and the unexplained uh, pyramids of Mexico and Central America and South America, and all those beautiful pieces of architecture laid behind, left behind that, that really we sit here in awe with, even with today's engineering skills. But when we started, I think, getting into looking underground as far as geological exploration for oil and also subsurface use of space for mm-hmm. um, for storage for oil fields and gasoline and and food, etc., that we started finding a lot of things underground that uh, left even more of a mystery. Again, than what we had above ground.
0: again, I've got to stop you for a second, John. It's really interesting that you should be saying that because um, there is a project ongoing now in Alaska called HARP. Right. I'm sure you've heard of it. Yes, I and have. And it's supposedly got a dual purpose, and one is to heat up the ionosphere to see what'll happen. I'm not sure about that one. And the other purpose, supposedly, is to try and map underground tunnels and caves. And I thought, hmm, underground tunnels and caves. Now, why are we wanting to look underground? What do we think is underground that we don't know about?
2: Uh, apparently, there seems to be more underground that's worth looking at than above our heads in space with the NASA program. Um, I've read about HARP, and I've also looked into the shuttle, uh, the shuttle bay experiments in which they were using ground-probing radar, they said to help study the Rwandan ape because of the war in Rwanda. Right. And that just kind of hit me as kind of funny. And um, I think that because of today's technology with the ability to burrow underground with thermal nuclear boring machines that have been patented in U.S. patent books by uh, Los Alamos Laboratories, uh, I know before you had a really great researcher on the air, Richard Sauter, and... uh, that's and right. he's done a lot of studies on this and brought a lot of information forward to the public um, declaring that the United States and other countries by now have very easily been able to penetrate the Earth with these thermonuclear boring machines that um, literally vitrify the rock and what's left over is about 25% of mass and since it's molten lava they compress it towards the tunnel walls and it permeates through the tunnel walls creating a self-lined tunnel. Mm-hmm. This is This is great when you look back at a lot of the old stories of people in caves and caverns, even when you're talking about books like Edadorfa and and other stories like The Smoky God in which people talk about the hollow earth. These stories were coming out long before we were even aware of the technology about glass-lined tunnels, and that's exactly what the technology is available today is to leave glass-lined tunnels behind, and these people reporting them way back in the last century.
0: But these are, tun- these are tunnels, uh, John, that we would have created, so we would therefore, for the most part, know they are there, certainly at high government levels. The implication of Harp is that we're looking for stuff that we we don't know is there. Right. Well, if,
2: if it's very simple in, in terms, I mean in an engineering term, due to this technology to be able to borrow underground, then that leaves us a whole new issue. Not only would NORAD have to worry about missiles coming from overhead from the um, north, and also be able to look out for any kind of missile attack from above. Now we've got a whole new issue about how do we prevent other countries or other species from borrowing under the ground into our continent, into the North American country, and coming near uh, sensitive facilities or near sensitive government buildings.
0: God, there's an awful thought. So, I mean... You know that you're right. I mean, it would have national security implications, and now I suddenly understand... Even the alien question or or the reptilian question aside, there would be national security reasons. Suddenly it dawned on me. <laughs>
2: All the billions of dollars they had spent so far, now they've just figured out that they've only done 50% of their job. Huh. So there had to be this large launch into being able to see who and what is underground at what depth and who they are. Um, if, as I believe, there are other alien species coexisting here on this planet with us, they want to make sure, not that these species are telling them where they are, but mm-hmm. they want to be able to make sure of being able to verify themselves exactly who is where. And also when you start looking at the fact that in 1988 they, they created a, a National Cave Resources Act, which prevents people from going into a cave That's right. uh, with a $10,000 fine and uh, one year imprisonment for each entry.
0: That's a lot right. And it's supposedly uh, to protect the natural resource of the caves, isn't that correct?
2: That is correct. There are some caves, absolutely, that have been defaced. But the majority of caves across the United States, most people don't want to go near a cave, you know, because there's a certain amount of superstition and a little bit of spookiness going into a dark, hollowed-out piece of the Earth.
0: Sure, I'm one of them. I I wouldn't do it.
2: I had to overcome that fear due to my own research and looking around. I... uh,
0: Oh, now, wait a minute. You mean you actually have made some trips?
2: I Yes, I've been into cave systems and also into mines, and I can tell you one thing, that there is certainly... I had to do it because look, I'm afraid of climbing, I'm afraid of going into a cave, yet I had to confront my fears in order to fulfill my research that I'm doing. All right. And believe me, I, in some instances I've been shaking. I mean, I used to watch people climb a mountain, I think these guys are... These guys are crazy.
0: Yeah, I still I'm, think that.
2: <laughs> see, then I'm faced with the position of having to go out and learn how to do it myself. But um, yeah, I, there's been instances where I've gone into certain caves because I've heard out. I've heard that they are. Um, they are one instance in particular it was a reptilian outpost very near Las Vegas. As a matter of fact, Las Vegas has almost overrun it.
3: Oh, and, oh, really?
2: And yeah, and um, uh, when I went in there, a friend of mine told me that this cave had a steel door down a shaft. It was really an old mine. It had a steel door down a shaft after you went down a vertical pit. So, I went in with huh. my friend. In order to get in there, you had to climb, uh, crawl vert- uh, horizontally on your belly for about 20 feet before you could even stand up because the, the cave ceiling was right at your back.
4: Mm. And then I went in
2: there. Mm-hmm. I looked for this door. It wasn't there. And then um, I was feeling kind of odd. I scraped my knuckles into the and my fingernails into the wall because it looked mm-hmm. kind of wet. And I could feel mud go underneath my fingernails, and I saw like a scrape of mud. But when I retrieved backwards, I thought, well, I have to take a picture because this door isn't here, and I want to be able to show my friend who told me about this. And when I took the picture, I saw a streak of light come up. And I looked down at my hands after I turned my flashlight back on. I looked down at my hands, and there was no mud underneath my fingernails, nor was there any mud on my hands. And when I got the actual photograph developed, there was a streak of light going from the bottom left to the top right, with a huge wall of light underneath it, diffused off to the right-hand side. I have a feeling, and I'm not any technical expert in this area, and it's just my opinion, but I have a feeling that there was holographs that worked there, and with the flash of the camera, it was trying to adjust for that instantaneous change of light level, and it couldn't quite do it. and This is one of the recent uh, photographs I have of anomalous activities underground.
0: What um? I by the way, I would give my eye teeth to get hold of one of those photographs, John.
2: Well, I'll send you a copy. Oh, you will? Oh, sure.
0: All right. Um, you know, I'll tell you, John. I'm right in the middle of writing a book, and I'd be glad to give you credit. uh... So, if you want to include permission to publish it, I'll I'll uh, stick it in there. I don't think there will be a problem. All right. Uh, wonderful. I I mean, I really love being able to get these photographs out, and uh, absolutely. I, I've got a bulletin board system, by the way, where we do that. We take a is special photographs like the one you're talking about and make them available, so I'll do that as well. Boy, that's fascinating. I I don't know if I could have overcome my fear, and I sure don't know that I could crawl through a space just barely big enough for me to crawl through. I wouldn't like that at all. Earth above, Earth below, Earth to each side. There's something about that that would be very claustrophobic.
2: It, it is a little bit of something to overcome, yeah. but one thing is that I've realized through doing all the research that I have is that the old old phrase from i think it's out of the bible that says as above so below it really does encounter pretty much the question of the ufo uh the ufo uh, phenomenon
0: all right is what what is it that you believe is down there john
2: well when i started thinking about my, the one question that really started narrowing me into my field of research was get which was primarily getting into the reptilian area which is i started questioning as to why is it that the majority of uh, uh, contactees, who meet the Nords and who meet these other wonderful beings from craft are told that they have a—they uh, have a some sort of a non-interference clause where they're not okay. allowed to interfere with us. Yet at the same time, through that contact, there was a form of interference, but not on the scale of which the uh, Greys. What you see now is the Greys—the four-foot, four-and-a-half-foot tall, you know, standard Grey, which is the alien with the the uh, large black eyes and the thin extremities and the large heads, why is it that they, along with less frequent but still, con- uh, reports of contacts with them and the reptilian beings who have been reportedly been the ones giving them orders or commanding them, mm-hmm. why is it that these two particular species have repeatedly been uh, talked about in the field? What gives them the right where others do not have the right? to interfere with us, even when they're talking about doing the experiments with people on craft, as they do. And that started making me look more into our own historical perspective as to what is there left, what's really left of our own history that hasn't already been hidden or just naturally lost mm-hmm. that could explain to us the existence of these beings. Number one is, when you look at the graves. Uh, the oldest reference I can find to anything that's like a gray is that the Hopi Indians refer to these grays as ant people ant people and from our own visual perspective now we can see why they would maybe refer to them as ant people Say for existence what if this being came from underground or you had knowledge that they lived underground Mm -hmm. they had large eyes as do ants thin extremities as do ants large craniums as do ants and of course now we can understand that they might have just said, well, this is an ant person, you know.
0: Something. Or it would be their easy reference, yes. Exactly. Uh-huh, sure. And, um, You're right about the features. When you consider, um, when you consider an ant, um, those similarities are quite striking. John, hold on just a second. We'll be right back to you. My guest is John Rhodes, and now I'm beginning to make a bit of the connection myself. How about you? I couldn't quite understand the human-reptilian connection, uh, but I'm beginning to get there, I think. More in a moment. Uh, John, um, question for you. Uh, An obvious question somebody would ask would be, well, if they're reptilian and they are from, in essence, below Earth, then what are the UFOs? In other words, what's the connection? Are they actually some previous race of humans, or are they from somewhere else occupying our inner ground? Well, that's a good
2: question. Um, Let me explain this. Uh, First of all, I started noticing that um, I believe that they are a species that are off the original trunk or the tree of life, the first genetic creation that took part on this planet. And uh, this may or may not be so, but this is, from what I've been able to gather, this is my perspective. And we are further genetic chains or genetic branches off that original trunk.
0: In a, in a process, uh, John, of evolution or creation or both, or do I you think, I
2: think it's both. I think originally it was it was divine creation, and then uh, shortly after that there was intervention of sorts. And um, hmm. when I started, the, what really clued me in on this is starting to look at the antiquity of the serpent and serpent worship around the world. There is no animal on earth that has been revered so highly and taken. Both ends of the spectrum, whether it's negative or positive, into the influence of man and his religion, than that of the serpent or the That's snake.
1: True.
3: That's true.
2: You can also include in that category dragons, lizards, and any of the reptilian species, but primarily the serpent, the snake, and and or the dragon.
0: John, are there not some religions, uh, it strikes me back in the Appalachian Mountains, particularly um, Christian religions, um serious thumper religions where they they use a snake um, as a demonstration of how they can overcome and I, I I hesitate to use word evil I don't know if evil is right but overcome something or another and they use them in a in in uh, in religion
2: yeah they dance with the snakes and they tempt them almost bite them.
0: That, that's right, as <laughs> though you cannot harm me. Uh, right, and yes. through
2: their own faith in, in God, they think that once they are bitten that they'll survive, and in fact, when many people, when they're bitten, do in fact swell up, <laughs> you know, because of the venom. Right. But, um, yes, the, the serpent actually exemplifies both the uh, positive and negative religious uh, implications. Uh, we look at, first of all, the, the, the Japanese and the Chinese revere the serpent or the snake as, and the dragon as being something very benevolent, while at the same time mm-hmm. we're told to our own religions that the being who stood in the Garden of Eden, and remember it was the only reference in the Holy Bible that, that we could even talk to animals, was that of a reptilian, and this reptilian was smart enough to start teaching us, and when you look at the connections between the, um, the Sumerian text talking about Enlil or E, having being a a divine being from uh, an extraterrestrial being who was involved with the genetic manipulation of man, and he lived in a, supposedly he lived in a place called Snake Marsh, and he was the one that that had taken a branch of the mammalian man and mixed it with some of the reptilian being, And Hmm. the place where he lived, of course, was Snake Marsh, like I said, but you could think of a, a place where snakes live as a den, and then we come back to looking at the biblical explanation in Genesis where they talk about the reptilian being in a place called Eden and giving man knowledge.
0: Huh? Eden. Yeah.
2: Right, Eden. And these types of uh, little pieces of information are all over the place, and it's just a matter of being able to make the connections. I believe that one reason that... W- it, it's really interesting to note that amongst many of the religious... Uh, cultures of the world it's it's a common rule or law religious law that they are not allowed to draw or
1: make anything that of that which is in heaven
0: all right john we've got a pause here at the top of the hour okay. we'll, we'll be back relax for a few mi- moments uh, eden that's uh boy that's quite a jump huh a little emphasis but big meaning we'll be right back
1: calls on dreamland with art bell
0: (laughs) here's art bell now again here i am my guest john rhodes the human reptilian connection and it sounds kind of strange at first but as you listen it begins to sound a little less strange this of course is a program where we examine different sorts of things things you don't hear about elsewhere in a moment i've got uh, a couple of one very good facts and a question for john now You, too, could be sending me a fax, if you would like. As a matter of fact, if you have a question for John Rhodes, my fax number is area code uh, 702-727-8499. 702-727-8499, 24 hours a day. Now, if you don't have a fax machine, we can sell you one of those. There was a report on this last hour's news of an earthquake in the Sierra Nevadas, uh, between Nevada and California, uh, of about 4.5. And before we continue with what we were doing, John, I want to ask you, um, this is just the latest in what has seemed like a, a worldwide swarm of earthquakes. I mean, it seems, John, they've been getting more frequent. Earthquakes are underground affairs. I just thought I would ask whether you have any comment.
2: Well, yeah, I do have a comment, and that is that um, going back to the Hopi Indians, they believe that we are coming across or coming to the end of one of the great cycles at which Earth naturally uh, starts to go through evolutionary changes of its own, and these changes are not slow in process. They're extremely rapid. Mm. I pulled information off the Colorado Earthquake Center and did some graphs on it, and it shows that the lower magnitude earthquakes between 19... 82 and 1993, some of them, like I think it's from 2 to 3, 2 to 2.9, had increased over 8,000% of frequency. So when you start looking at something laid out in a graphics form as, as telling you how often these earthquakes are happening and how, how much more they're happening every year, it tends to make one sit back and, and worry a little bit. Uh, I,
0: well, yes, that's what I've been doing. And, and uh, I've been doing, John, uh, talk radio a long time now. And it is to the point now where I'm reporting one or two earthquakes a day most times. Right. So you say there's an 8,000 percent?
2: In some in some cases it is. Um, the larger magnitude earthquakes have not increased in frequency. They're beginning to, but overall the lower magnitude earthquakes have over a 10-year period or 12-year period. This shows that it's building up for massive energy release because it's got to snap somewhere along the line. When we look at uh, the fact that FEMA... As an organization, uh, ten out of eleven dollars, according to um, some of the reports and newspapers that were reported, said that FEMA spent eleven. Uh, excuse me, eleven out of twelve dollars preparing the United States for Armageddon. I think that uh, yes, there's a definite worry about nuclear weapons getting into third world countries' hands and terrorist hands. But there's also a very uh, logical precaution that our government would have to take in order to insert ensure its own survival and that's one of the reasons that like since the 1950s they've been heavily heavily involved with building very very deep underground bunkers
0: well all right here we are underground once again it seems to me if there were an underground civilization of either creatures related or not related to us if they had that kind of mobility underground they might have the ability to manipulate in some way uh the tectonic tectonic pressures and releases and so forth and so on. Is that too speculative?
2: Well, no, I believe that that could be um, utilizing some sort of Reichian or Tesla technology or even other technology that we couldn't even put a name to. Uh But, um, yeah, from my own perspective, I think the Earth is somewhat of a living organism. And just as a human being goes in to get Uh, needles put into their head through acupuncture to relieve certain stresses and strains. I think that it's very possible to do that to the Earth. However, it's only a temporary remedy. The overall problem has to be cured, otherwise the
1: remedy itself won't last.
0: All right, Uh, here's a fax. Dear Art, greetings from a fellow Gemini. Your guest is interesting about the reptilian-human connection. Whenever you have a guest about alien species or ancient history, I frequently recall the five-part, two-hour movie named V. The movie was on TV, back when I had a TV. It's about an aliens coming to Earth to help us with many of our problems. But as the story progressed, one investigative reporter had a suspicion that all was not as rosy as they put out for one aspect, even though they looked human. The investigative reporter found out that beneath the disguise, they were reptilian who ate mammals, including humans. Have you and or your guest seen the movie? Um,
2: yes, I have seen the series and the film. I've also uh, seen very many other reptilian forms recently come into the media in order to right. make us either afraid or love them. In the case such as um, E.T., we were made to feel very good and secure about the alien that is re- what we could res- you know, refer to as like a gray,
0: yeah, very that, small and
2: not intimidating.
0: Or even... Cute. You know, right. they, they managed to get E.T. cute.
2: Right, and, and one scene, as a matter of fact, in that movie, it was even cuddled up with all the bears. The that's
0: teddy bear. right, that's right. You cute, know, so. you know, it loves children, dogs, that kind of thing. But somehow I get the feeling that a lot of... Well, well for example, um, the report Linda did before you came on the air, did you hear that sound? Yes, I did. That would not come from something that would I would describe as cute. I kind of
2: agree with that, but then at the same time is that, you know, we all have our perspective. I mean, to uh, perhaps another being, that was celestial music, and Mm. to us it's not. Mm. So, um, and and when you look at uh, the programs like be and such, take, for example, I believe that we have been seeing a lot of the grays, the grays from what I've been able to learn through um, other researchers, such as what I consider the great researchers like Bill Hamilton and Bruce Walton, and Tom Adams and Cherry Hinkle and Tal out in California, um, from what we've been able to gather as a, as a group is the fact that um, these four and a half foot tall grays are an intermixture between genetically hybrid uh, beings. They used to be intermediaries between the reptilians and the humans because if the reptilians came out full form as they could and as they will in the future, uh, it would be much too frightening for us now. So they use something a little less intimidating, which are these grays. With the media, when uh, you looked at programs recently like Stargate...
0: Yeah, oh, I just saw Stargate. Gosh, what a movie.
2: Okay, now, when you start looking at a program like Stargate and realize that here's this being that made its presence known on a planet and had its association with ancient history, like the pyramid, and then said, I've come down here and I was part of... the." that which created you yes and you should pay homage to me the last image we saw when this being was obliterated was that of a reptilian a standing reptilian and it comes very fast but you have to look at it and that made us on a very almost subliminal level think of a reptile as something to be afraid of yes we've heard abductions where humans have been abducted through uh through um ufo uh, experience in which they have been forcibly raped by reptilians, large, uh, seven-foot-tall seven uh, beings with, uh, mm. bi- that are bipedial, bifocal, and have, uh, you know, the regular scales and eyes that look like flame, and that, can, that statement itself can be taken back to a lot of ancient writings, and that are forcibly raped. And when I started thinking, wait, I don't understand this. If the reptilians are like that, but yet they're trying to make the grays look good. Why, if they're going to all come out someday, how could that be when we've had just the reports of the grays being presented to us as something that's really not? Okay, nice?
0: what, do you, what do you think the grays are? Are they biological entities? Uh, I've heard them described uh, as that, and possibly machines.
4: Well,
2: I, I, I believe that they're both. I believe that um, uh, the original gene or the genetic strain by which the the greys came originated from, they are so, just like we are, natural beings, and some of them are good and some of them are bad. Mm. But then again, I believe that, that maybe due to the scarcity of them, or not having too many here, that certain parts of their genetic uh, strains were taken and chained up and linked together with human chains and or other chains and became um, what you consider biological robotoids who perhaps don't have a soul. But then again, we look at some animals and think, I can't have a soul. But I think the main question here is is that we've been so conditioned as a human species to be able to take what's visually presented to us and make very quick judgments. And as there are good humans and bad humans, so must there be reptilians who are of certain physical characteristics, say like a reptilian, right, that is good as well as bad. There have got to be greys that are good as well as bad. That is the, that is one of the laws of nature.
0: All right. Um, I also find quite a bit of religious underpinning as you discuss your philosophy of who you believe these beings are. Is that about right?
2: Well, you can't avoid it. I believe that if I they agree. have been if they've been here for as longer than we have, then obviously in some ways they have had the opportunity to manipulate our religious perspective.
0: So the the argument then is. Um, are they the creators, or is there a creator beyond? And the impression I get from you is you believe there is a creator beyond.
2: Oh, I, I definitely believe that. Okay. Just as the laboratory rat might turn to us and look over the edge of the cage and say, Are you it?
0: <laughs> right? Yes.
2: And um, anyway, when I, to get around to the connection that we have between these beings, I started looking into a, a book called The Dragons of Eden, written by a very intelligent man called Carl Sagan. And in Carl Sagan's book, he uh, theorizes on the evolution of human intelligence. And in that book, he refers to a gentleman by the name of Paul McLean, who's a neuroanatomist. Now, Paul McLean has said, through his own research and investigations, that the most ancient part of the human brain is called the R-complex. And the R stands for reptilian, because we share this same configuration of matter with reptiles. And it is the most ancient part of the human brain that rests above the spinal cord. The neocortex and the limbic system are built around it. In other words, they're adaptations to this very ancient part of the brain. Well, if you believe in the, the regular creation theory in which we, or the evolutionary theory, which we came from a pond as, as fish and waddled up on the surface and we evolved from there, that would make sense, because it would, it, we would see the connections with ourselves and reptile.
0: All right, well, thankfully, there, there appears no further connection, for I feel no draw to go out by my porch light where there's lots of bugs, you know, and <laughs> thr- thrust my tongue out and grab a, a few of them.
2: A forked tongue, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> On that note, we'll pause for just a moment. Uh, forked, I hope not um before I'm about to do a couple of commercials <laughs> here is uh, a deal you cannot refuse <laughs> fun. Uh-huh. all right um in just a moment uh, we're going to get back to uh, uh we're going to get back to uh, John Rhodes and talk a little more about all of this uh as a matter of fact uh, let's do that now john are you there yes okay
2: um what i was going to say is that on top of the fact that uh, the neuroanatomists say that the most ancient part of the human brain, the most central part, an archaic part, is called the R-complex because it stands for reptilians and we share it with reptiles, right. there's also other striking connections that have been recently brought to my attention. And one of them was that in Omni Magazine, September 1994, they had written an article uh, in excuse me, May 1994 called Lizards Love. And what they discovered is that male iguanas were getting extremely... Uh, extremely uh, let's put it this way Uh, they were starting to love their owners the female owners anyway the women who owned uh, iguanas really and it would happen during the um, the menstrual cycle and they discovered that it's because that human female humans secrete a pheromone that is absolutely chemically uh, identical to that of a female iguana Chemically, it's an absolute identical match to a female iguana, and that's Mm -hmm. why the male iguanas were getting so amorous. And um, uh, on top of that, you have many other uh, connections, just as you So you
0: would say that is sort of a hormonal connection. Right, Mm -hmm.
2: right. And then um, when you start looking about, well, this most ancient part of the brain and all these connections, what does it mean? Well, when the human embryo is in the... the, um, it is in the female womb, it undergoes, probably during the first seven weeks, certain changes in its formation. As a matter of fact, uh, what happens is genetic history starts replaying itself um, through the embryonic
1: growth.
0: Right? What, what, what John, the- John, all right, I'm sorry to stop you again, but uh, what about the gigantic difference between our systems? Uh, mammals, warm-blooded, uh, reptilians, uh, uh, cold-blooded. I mean, that really is a big seemingly gigantic evolutionary difference
2: yes but at the same time even paleontologists today some paleontologists are starting to think twice as to whether all the dinosaurs back in the in, in the dino- right. age of the dinosaurs were in fact cold-blooded oh you're
0: right I've heard that you're, you know. you're absolutely right uh, that's been some of the later news right. um, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't recall that thank you
2: and according to Dale Russell who's a scientist uh, anthropological scientist with the Canadian Uh, National Museum of Natural Science in Canada, Uh, he said that uh, a dinosaur by the name of Stenonychosaurus equalis, if it had not undergone such a catastrophic change as apparently took place and killed out the dinosaur age, that because of its brain-to-body mass ratio, uh, which was extremely close to uh, those of primitive mammals, and the fact that it was bipedal, Mm -hmm. um, that if it had been allowed to evolve as the as the dominant species that it was heading towards being that nowadays it would have resembled that of a walking talking what we consider through looking at the abduction report reptilian being
0: alright John hold it right there we've got a break at the bottom of the hour and something I've got to get done very quickly so let me do that uh, we'll take our break and come right back my guest is John Rhodes the human reptilian connection and we will get deeper into this subject in just a moment. From the high desert, this is Dreamland. of Nye. You're hearing Dreamland with Art Bell. My guest is author, lecturer, John Rhodes. He talks of the human reptilian connection and things underground. We will get phone calls here in a couple of moments. I, um, I've got a couple of very good questions. One of them about the hum. Now, back to John Rhodes. John, I know I'm skipping around a lot, but when I have somebody who's an expert on underground, I've got a lot of questions, and I know that you've heard about this. I have a good friend, John, who built a porch here in uh, Pahrump, Nevada, the other side of the valley. When, uh, he sank uh, a big uh, beams into the ground in order to do this. After he built it, he had such a bad hum, uh, John, that he could not sleep at night in his house. That's how bad it was. He ended up having to reconstruct, redo the whole thing in a different way. Something was being picked up and transmitted uh, into his home from underground. What have you heard about this?
2: Well, I I know that the underground hum that's been heard, like in Taos, is not limited to just the Taos area, but has actually been heard in different countries around the world as well. Uh, And it's been happening for longer than most people realize. Uh, My own idea of what it may be. We've heard the theories about using um, ELF and loop antennas to be able to communicate, you know, through the water and over the atmosphere with submarines around the world.
0: That is correct.
2: Um, I know that the geological, uh, the Colorado Bureau of Mines patented a a, uh, device that actually uses ELF to communicate through the rock. In other words, it doesn't need any cables or anything. It just Uh uses the rock to carry the signal. And the lower the frequency, the greater the coverage area. Hmm. And when you start talking about, see, all I perceive now as my reality is moving atoms and frequency. And all we really have to live by this time around in our lives is this mass or different combinations of frequencies combined together to create different objects and different light. And when you start talking about the Taoist hum, you're talking about a frequency that's being put through the Earth but yet, at the same time, there's a lot of natural crystal formations within the earth that could take certain certain uh, branches of this frequency, and I guess you could say change it or mutate it, so it we may resonate, we may have a, some sort of a sympathetic resonance with it. Uh, around the meninges of the brain, uh, which is the sheath covering the blood-brain barrier, we have a um, high quantity of what they call magnetite crystal. Mm-hmm. And what this is, is that uh, Dr. Kirschvink of Caltech has started looking into this thinking that there's higher concentrations of magnetite crystal. Now, magnetite, mind you, is a naturally forming magnet, ore. It's like lodestone in the earth. We don't eat it, but our body actually manufactures it. So when we have magnetite crystals surrounding our brain, that means that we as humans, have everything necessary to make a transmitter or receiver, which is uh, crystals, magnets, and energy and minerals. So if you're getting these different frequency fluctuations, I don't doubt whatsoever that we are somehow sympathetically resonating with those frequencies. As to what they could be, well like we said before, perhaps they are some sort of a subsurface radar around these sensitive facilities looking for anything that may be coming near them.
0: Well that's fascinating.
2: Because a lot of these reports have actually come in from areas where previously people have said that there's some sort of anomalous activity happening Mm -hmm. with um, clandestine black book operations. So that's one possibility. The other is, of course, you know, the communications. And the other one is, of course, and I've thought about it, and I don't know how true it could be, that the people who are hearing them have implants. And somehow these implants are being triggered. So these people are being able to hear a sound because they're not quite hearing it, but they're sensing it all over. Now, I've heard sounds like that that have continued for a period of two or three weeks, like a clicking, but then that clicking has stopped. I've also found out that other people associated with the group have heard the same sound at the same time, and it
0: all stopped at the same time. All right. This is from Sean in Yucca Valley. Then I'm going to give out the numbers, and we're going to answer some phones. Art. I have often heard a claim there is only a two percent difference between humans and chimpanzees' genetic material. This seems to argue against any human reptilian melding. Would you please ask John to comment on the point? In other words, as we look at genetic connection, I, I think the the facts are is correct. There's a very close relationship to chimpanzees.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: But genetically, not so close to uh, reptilians.
2: Well. Like I said, the connection is definitely there to reptilians. I'm not saying the primary connection or the most um, evidentiary one is, or the most dominant connection is. I do believe, like the caller had or had uh, called in or faxed in, that yes, there is a high degree of uh, connection with regular mammals, like the the primitive apes. However, um, the most it, it, it appears to be that the most dormant form of a connection that we have, coming from the archaic part of the of the brain is that of a reptilian, so which came first, the chicken or the egg, which came first, the monkey or the reptile, so when you're talking about I guess you could say, uh, Paul McLean says that the, the he's been able to excise, excise like laboratory rats, parts of their brain, or laboratory animals, parts of their R-complex, and what he's realized is that that R-complex dominates Our social, our behavior patterns as far as Mm -hmm. hierarchy, uh, territoriality, ritualism, and aggressive behavior. And this is how he was able to find that out. So, when we're talking about, uh, like, who are we, it it makes more sense to me that there's some sort of an important connection there with the reptilians because I haven't heard too many stories of abductions by monkeys.
0: That's a good point
2: where I have heard the abductions by reptilians.
0: All right, uh, John, let me quickly give out the numbers, and we'll take some calls. Fascinating topic. Gee. First-time caller line, um, area code 702-727-1222. The wildcard line, several of those available. Area code 702-727-1295. Toll-free, west of the Rockies, it's 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, it's 1-800-825-5033. One, just one other quick thing, uh, John, then we'll pick up some calls. Uh, the, um, the natural magnetic material that you say uh, uh, surrounds our brain... Right. Wouldn't that, um, uh, they're doing a lot of studies now about electromagnetic fields and how they affect us. And when I say that, I mean even radio, television, and microwave transmission. Um, Would this be, do you see a connection, in other words, if we are receptors... Uh, then it seems to me that sort of energy might be received and or might be affecting us.
2: Right. Well, there's there's so many forms of energy that we're aware of, but I believe that there are so many forms of more subtle energies that we're not aware of, and I think we catch the full spectrum. Um, yeah, I think it's very unhealthy to live around power lines. As a matter of fact, they say that when people go into caves or cave systems or underground, there's a natural uh, insulation there provided for them, so they're not no longer walking on the surface as just regular human antennas. That would be true. You just have to stick up a good antenna and you can figure out that my God, there's there's thousands, thousands of frequencies shooting straight through us all the time.
0: Thousands. Yes, well, they're also doing a lot of work on intense uh, magnetic fields, and I hate to admit this, I'm a ham operator. Right. uh, And I've been doing so since I've been about 12 years old, so I've been getting exposed to close-in large electromagnetic fields Um, RF all my life, and uh, frankly, uh, and I'm sorry to have to report it, but they've done a lot of reports indicating that amateur radio operators and people exposed to a lot of RF do uh, tend to have a higher cancer rate. So there may may be something to all this. Uh, But then
2: again, just to comfort you, I know that the mind is so much more powerful than we've ever been allowed to previously conceive that it is or believe that it is.
0: Well, thanks for the comfort, John. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with John Rhodes. Hi.
1: Hi. Where
0: are you? Where are you?
1: I'm calling from Oklahoma City. Okay. I, um, I've i been listening to your show, and I just caught in on the latter part of your show this evening. One of the things I had in question when we were talking about Rotillion is I have um, a large amount of paperwork and work that's been gathered for the past 10 years from a friend of mine who believes she's, an alien or a part alien and um, she's given me her work and it has hundreds of drawings and cryptic writing and I'd like to know whom I can get in touch with to show this work to. Well
0: cryptic writings, uh, aliens, does it seem to relate to uh, some sort of reptilian connection?
1: To some degree it, in some parts of her notes it does. It does. I've. I went and bought a particular book on cryptic writing from past centuries, trying to decipher some of the information. And
0: all right, all right, all right. Uh, listen on, on the air. John, it's a good opportunity. If somebody like that or anybody else wants to get hold of you, or maybe you've ri- have you written a book, John?
4: Well,
2: no, the book's in the works. Um, I've just made a recent, I mean, we'll get into a little bit more if you want. All right,
0: then let me try this avenue. If they want to get hold of you and get you information.
2: Okay, this is what you do. First of all, if it's something that you're really, really frightened of somebody interfering or intercepting, the way to do this is to take it and fully register it and heavily insure it. This way, if it's ever missing in the mail accidentally, then you stand to make a little bit of money from it. Sure. Okay, now, I've had so many things missing through the mail. This is the only way I really, truly get things where I want them to go. I, I figure see. if they're going to end up missing, I might as well make a little living at it. <laughs> now, I'm going <laughs> to give you an address, and the address is John Rhodes, R-H-O-D-E-S. Right. And that's Post Office Box 50381, Henderson, that's H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N, Nevada. 89016-0381. Now, I also have a voicemail system set up.
0: Do it do it again though. Uh, okay.
2: It's John Rhodes. Right. Post office box 50381. Henderson, Nevada 89016-0381. And I have a voicemail also, which if, in case if you don't mind, in case anybody needs to or would like to receive a package of information regarding this research and other related research, um, if they uh, do a money order or check for $10 and send it to me, I'll get them off a, a comprehensive package. And uh, if you'd like, go ahead and send it to that address. My voicemail, in case you want to notify me of anything or need some further information like the address again, is area code 702 391 and one other thing I have available in case people are interested is I've um, done some psychoacoustic uh, and psycho uh, uh, work with, psycho work, I've done some work with sound, and I've been able to uh, create a subliminal self-hypnosis tape for abductees. And the reason I did this is because so many people are feeling like they've somehow been touched, and they they don't have the money to go spend ninety dollars an hour right. to go to a, a psychiatrist to get hypnosis. So I've used some very ancient metaphysical uh, tones that correspond with the chakra, and I've gotten together with a very famous uh, hypnosis uh, hypnotist out here in Las Vegas by the name of Helen Balcom, right? And we designed this self hypnosis. Tape that teaches people how to get themselves into the self-hypnotic state, as well as empower them through their experiences, instead of allowing them to sit in the victimization role, and and recall some of these events if they so choose.
0: All right. If it's not go ahead. uh, I was going to say if it's not ninety dollars an hour, how much is it's
2: It's ten dollars, and once you buy it, um, I just welcome you until otherwise, until I otherwise tell you to to go ahead and copy it and please hand it out to your friends. That's because nice. I'm my, part of my job here, not only am I a spokesman for a group of people who have spent their lives uh, working on subjects such as this, but my job here right now is to help people and empower people. And that's one of the reasons I also sometimes, when I go out and give lectures, I'll spend an extra day, take a handful of people, and teach them to investigate for themselves. Because we all need to put at least a little bit of work into it. And the more people who put work into it, and forward the information to someone like myself, which is like a pivot point, then the more ability we have to be able to get a clearer perception on what's going on.
0: This is uh, a shot in the dark, John. It's a fax. Ask John if he's ever heard or seen a human who has small holes on the side of the head near the top of the ear and in slightly toward the temple. I have exactly what I describe on both sides of my head and have yet to see this on any other human being. If your guest has no such experience, can you refer me to somebody you might know, uh, Barbara in Santa Barbara? No, I I certainly can't, John. Have you ever heard of such a thing? (laughs) Um,
2: I I hesitate to answer simply because it hits so close to home. Um, This last year, our five-year-old girl had recently uh, awoken one morning and was worrying about her ears and scratching them and when I looked inside and just on the inside of the ear but still within the actual outside fleshy piece against the temple was a perfectly circular cord out hole now what that in itself would not be so remarkable if it weren't for the fact that when I looked in the opposite ear 180 degrees around on her other side of her head was another perfectly cylindrical hole right in the exact same location so Yes, I haven't heard very many other people talk about it, but it's really strange that, <laughs> that your caller should happen to ask that question. What I mean, that's really odd.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. What would you uh, what would you say to her? I mean, uh,
2: all I could say is that
0: do you want her to contact you?
2: Well, yeah, I mean she's more than welcome to contact me as well as I invite absolutely anybody out there whatsoever who may have information regarding any experiences or any other uh, information. Uh, regarding the reptilians or reptiles or any sort of a contact or abduction to contact me and and send me a copy of the information. I'd really appreciate it. That way it would enable me to be able to get a little better perspective on what's going
0: on. Here's a quick crazy question because we're about at the top of the hour. People, A lot of people, when they are abducted, some have actually reported underground experiences. Others have reported that they are in the interior of something. Now, I wonder if it could be, John, that in many times they are not in a craft at all, but in some sort of underground structure.
2: Excellent point. That's an excellent point. And I think the best thing we could do is try and get to that at the top after the top of the hour, because that's that's an area in all itself. I can tell you that um, in the very few experiences that I personally have had that I can consciously remember was one in particular in which I was sitting in a craft that was like the interior of a Hopi Indian or Pueblo Indian
4: Kiva.
0: All right, hold that thought. We'll be right back to you. I want to remind everybody our bulletin board service is up with five nodes, you can call it, at uh, area code 702-727-1709. That's our BBS. We'll be right back. Of Nye. We continue with your calls on Dreamland with Art Bell. Here's Art Bell. Here I am, and uh, we've got a whole bunch, there's a lot of interest. Uh, John, I'll tell you, uh, we're generating a lot of interest. I've got a fistful of faxes here, and we'll try and get to those uh, questions as we can. Reminding you, the east of the Rockies line is one 800 825 Now, John, uh, before I... I've got a whole lot of faxes and questions here and phone calls. It's going nuts. Um, Let's talk abductions for a moment. It seems to me that, indeed, a lot of people describe rooms, not uh, necessarily ships, but rooms, or even underground, uh, that they know they're underground, and they've been abducted sometimes. They've seen reptilian-like creatures. Sometimes they've even seen the U.S. military... And that opens up a whole nother can of worms.
2: All right. Um, well, this gets us into an area I was hoping that you would open up, and I thank you for doing that, which is that, um, as we were saying before, when it looks like uh, these reptilians are underground, all we have to look at is, and I'm, I, I study many, many works of ancient religions, including the modern religions, but the one we can most identify with is the Christian religion for mm-hmm. the majority of people. That's right. Um, and I will only say this, is that, all you have to do is look at the reptilian in the Garden of Eden. And when he had interfered originally with the overall plan, God, Jehovah, or whatever, came down and said, um, You haven't behaved like I've told you. You know, you've interfered. Now get thee underground. I will cast thee underground. And man's heel shall be upon your forehead. And you shall be at man's heel. In other words... They were cast underground. There wasn't. There are many ancient religions that talk about these reptilians being underground. Only one of them uh, is the Hopi religion, where they talk about their ancestors not being human but being snakes or reptilian, and they call them the Snake People. And like we we're coming full circle now, from like the beginning of the show, the Ant People and the Snake People. Um, they believe, according to their legends, that. At the end of each great cycle, when these devastations happen, they're taken underground to safety by the Ant people, and this area that they lived in was the underworld. And they finally came up after the devastation through a hole in the ceiling of this great underground cave or this underworld called the Sipapuni. Nobody has ever known where the Sipapuni is, and they've always thought of it as legend and myth.
0: Um, Okay, in that case, John... Uh, this question may answer itself. It's from Job in Seattle, Washington. Given their underground status as of now, how did they survive the catastrophe that wiped out all other higher reptile life forms millions of years ago? And that kind of answers itself, I guess.
2: Right. If there's something happening on the surface, the immediate response is to try and go underground, not only with our own government like they're doing now, but it's... It's shown back in very medieval pictures, and it's even reported back in the times like the Velikovskian, you know, theories of when they said that the great, you know, the stars fell from heaven and that there were great earthquakes. There's many depictions of people running for caves. If there was a more highly evolved form of intelligence in the age of the dinosaur, then perhaps their immediate instinct was to run for cover as well. Mm-hmm. When you start going underground, um, there are natural aquifers, of fresh water traveling in great rivers in some cases. That's when this happens, true. it releases highly charged positive ions into the air, as well as releases highly um, a high energy. Uh, excuse me, a high content of oxygen. Mm-hmm. So there's you can live down in these areas. There's radium that lines the walls of some of these caves, which gives off a constant light. And there's also many other minerals within the earth itself that you could actually grow from. When this underground mythological Indian Place, the Puni, uh, was said to be somewhere in the Four Corners area, they supposed. Um, there was an article written by an, uh, the Arizona F- Gazette, the Phoenix Gazette, back in 1909, where it talks about a man by the name of Kincaid traveling down the Colorado River on a skiff, and he had come across an underground city that was lo- built into the walls of the Grand Canyon that was big enough for 50,000 people to live in. Really? And when I initially read this article, I started a four-year search to see if this could possibly be. What I've discovered is that in many outlying areas of where they would have carried that same article, even in the Yuma Examiner where this, you know, he apparently was, the microfilm is all there for every day except those two days that it was printed. So there's suspicion by omission.
0: You know, uh, John, this is also interesting because... There have been reports, rumors, myths, whatever you want to call it, some of them fairly substantial, that there's something going on in the Grand Canyon, that um, some area of it has been cordoned off to the public. Nobody's allowed to go near it. Nobody knows what it is. Have you you heard those
5: reports?
2: Well, they they justify it by saying it's just dangerous.
0: However,
5: I
2: can tell you that, I mean, honestly, after four years of research, I have finally located that exact same location where Kincaid had walked into the cave and found the Egyptian mummies, the metal that nobody could explain where it came from, um, the hieroglyphics that were, that looked like they were from central Yucatan, but not, and the, um, uh, the cat size and then, like I said, they said that there was enough room for 50,000 people to live in, but the question is this, is that if there were, in fact, 50,000 people in the Grand Canyon, there is no evidence on the surface of that area that 50,000 people ever walked that area. Indeed. So where in the world did they go? Now, I've I've recently been in touch with sightings regarding this, and we've talked about doing something on it and other people off on the West Coast, because when I finally released the full impact of my discovery of this location, it has such implications to it that it has to be done very gingerly, especially when I carry a lot of respect for the Hopi Indians. And this being their mythological place of the emergence from the underworld, it needs to be treated very delicately. And uh, we're currently in negotiations with certain elements on the West Coast to try and get that out on the most widely spread way that we can. Um,
0: wow. Um, do you remember the old movie, Journey to the Center of the Earth? I'm sure yeah, you do. Yeah, wasn't that great? Yes. Um, <laughs> if And, and uh, who is to know, uh, but could there be portals somewhere on the Earth do you believe there are, yes. that would lead, uh, if not to the center of the earth, very, very deeply into the earth?
4: Absolutely.
2: I believe that the earth is like a human body in a way, that it has veins and arteries. And those veins and arteries are natural and unnatural caverns and tunnel systems. And um, there probably are some areas of the earth that are more, you know, highly concentrated with tunnel systems, such as uh, the four-corner southwest area uh... central america and the andes area of chile and and down south in south america um... one of the greatest reptilian you know you've heard these winged reptilians we hear about yes the draco and then the non-winged Well, one of the greatest winged reptilian r- religious symbols there has ever been or deities is that of quetzalcoatl and he was a very benevolent being that lived down in the yucatan area and mexico And you're going to love this. This has got to do with a lot of my research. I know you're just probably going to jump off your seat. But revelations, when they talk about revelations, it means to reveal what was once hidden. Yes. And during these times, these things will be revealed, as will the reptilian life forms. Quetzalcoatl was the being that lived between 600 and 900 A.D. down in Mexico, and also the upper Yucatan. And like I said, he was very benevolent. He went into an area where the Aztecs were ripping hearts out of people, and he said, no, no, no. He said, you know, just put some herbs up on the altar. And he taught them science. He was the one that the Mayans and the Aztecs attribute to teaching them the Mayan calendar, and we know the scientific you know, significance of that.
0: Oh, yes. The
2: astronomical calendar. But then also, there are many relations between him and what we know of as the Christ. As a matter of fact, some people, like the um, the Mormons of today's religions, believe that Quetzalcoatl was Christ reincarnate because he was just so benevolent in a very violent area. Anyway, through my research, I've realized through re- studying ancient archaeology and um, architecture, like in the art and architecture of ancient America by George Kubler, yeah. he says that the most ancient of all archaeological ruins that are circular in formation are the result of the presence of the cult of Quetzalcoatl. That being, Quetzalcoatl means the feathered serpent,
4: the being of the feathered serpent.
0: Do you connect all this, John, to the incredible sightings going on in Mexico? And I might add, ongoing in Mexico, hundreds of thousands of people are seeing
2: Absolutely. I have plans on going down to the first international UFO Congress in Mexico City in August and uh, having the opportunity to talk down there regarding this, because... I truly do believe that Mexico City is going to be the primary point of contact Ah. because if the Mexican people have already started to be conditioned to the more prominent presence there of these craft. And information outside the United States, if it's real close to us, we have an ability to control it, especially since the governments are so close now with all the monies being passed back and forth and deals being made. But also it's easier to control the information if at first the people don't react properly or as expected. And until and when they do have this initial contact, when they, if they uh, react unexpectedly, then they can stop the information flow right away, as has you've seen they've been doing all along.
0: well I- they have you're right. it's interesting though th- from those I've talked to who have been to Mexico and have investigated, they have found the Mexican people are actually beginning to get I'm, n- I'm not going to say nonchalant. But they're beginning to be accustomed to seeing these things almost all the time.
2: Absolutely. So, and, um, so if, that,
0: that process is ongoing.
2: Oh, yeah. And if they, if they land there first when finally they start reacting properly or so that when we are finally able to see that they have been there and we don't see people running through the streets, then it'll help us react a little bit more calmly to the acceptance of their arrival. But also remember that Mexico City sits atop an ancient city of Mexico called Tenochtitlan. Tenochtitlan was the initial city created by the Aztecs. And, of course, the ancient god of the Aztecs was Quetzalcoatl. Now, when Quetzalcoatl was done, this winged serpent being was done with all his divine work down there. He said, when he left, I will return one day and I will redeem my people, which is exactly the same promise as you've heard other religious um, deities throughout all Earth. Of course, right. Yes. So, um,
0: I, but but I, I believe all religions must, as a basic tenet, have a past history and a future promise.
2: Right. Absolutely. For us, to, for us to have hope.
0: Okay. Um, I, John, I'm telling you, we're getting. I've got so many faxes here, I could never get to them all. Here is one that says reptilian experience by a ten year old. The following abduction experience by my 10-year-old son had grays showing my son reptilians. Now, there's much too much. This is from Maui, Hawaii, and there's much too much for me to go into here. Uh, but with all of this contact and all of this interest, uh, John, I'm going to ask that you again please give out the um, telephone number and address, would you?
2: Absolutely. I welcome anybody to send material to me and or just send that $10, and I'll uh, money order a check, and I'll send them a package of material. And the address is John Rhodes, that's R-H-O-D-E-S, post office box 50381, Henderson, Nevada, 89016-0381. And in case you didn't get the address, You can call the voicemail system. It has the address on it again for you, which is 702-391-3335. And just to let everybody know, I'm not one of these researchers out there that's untouchable or that you can't talk to. Um, I more than welcome people to get me information or to share their experiences with me if they feel that there's something that they can contribute to expanding my idea of what's going on and um, Time prevent, you know, time uh, allowing, I'll try and get back in touch with you.
5: All right. And then, of
2: course, we have the tape that's 10 bucks, and then just add $2 in shipping and handling in there if you want to start finding out for yourself, and you'd rather keep that experience a little more quiet. All right. That self-hypnosis tape.
0: All right. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with John Rhodes. Hi.
2: Good evening, gentlemen. Hi. Uh,
3: recently, all about a year or so ago, in northern California, extremely northern California...
0: Wait, where are you, sir?
3: I'm calling from the Ozarks. Okay. Okay. Uh, but in extreme northern California, actually, Smith area, there was a lot of land, off-road land, rugged terrain, that was uh, made off-limits to the public. And uh, for one reason or another, I think one government agency made it off-limits to protect another one for whatever they were doing. And the reason for this is what appeared to be forest rangers were heavily armed with shoulder strap machine guns. Now it made no sense at all, and I know they weren't looking for marijuana.
0: Well, that's not the reason to cordon it off. That is the amount of security to accomplish it. What do you think they were cordoning off?
3: Uh, I have no idea, but I know that they were not protect. They were uh, they were keeping it close under taps. Well, I mean, why in the world would they have shoulder strap machine guns in the first place? And uh, this, like I said, an extreme northern california up near the oregon border
0: all right well i've got a fax here also uh john about mount shasta there are a lot of stories about mount shasta yes and uh are you familiar with the the term lemurians yes i am are is this a group who supposedly lives in or under mount shasta
2: well from what i've been able to um discover through my research and through the research of other people like uh, cherry hinkle and Tao and like I, the other names I mentioned before um, that appears that Mount Shasta um, is a, a shared facility like a neutral base like almost a Switzerland for many mm-hmm. different uh, races and, and beings and that's why there's such a variety of different reports coming out of there of various different looking beings. Um, as far as Lemuria and Mu and Atlantis I do believe that uh, yes, I do believe that there were past continents and other Uh, past civilizations that were destroyed through their own cataclysms, and some of them did escape through the tunnel systems. Tunnel tunnel systems crisscrossed the world, not just here.
0: Alright, fascinating. Hold on, John. Remember to get a copy of this program, which I can uh, understand you might want. Call 1-800-917-4278. 1-800-917-4278. With Art Bell, there is a lot of a lot of interest uh, around what John Rhodes is discussing—the human reptilian connection, underground tunnels, bases, perhaps even civilizations. Back to it in a moment, John. um, A lot of people want to talk to you, so let me take a couple of calls very quickly.
4: Great. Okay.
0: All the way out to uh, Maui, Hawaii. You're on the air with John Rhodes. How are you doing?
6: Hi, John. Uh, thank you very much for the excellent information. And, uh, Art, thanks for a great program.
0: Mm-hmm. I just
6: thanks, wanted Art. to uh, mention that initially when I w- was listening to your show tonight, I was, uh, my guard was up and I started resisting uh, the potential of having any connection uh, with reptiles. Uh, but then I remembered an experience that my 10-year-old son had uh, just a couple years ago, and I'll quote him on it. Uh, he, first of all, had experience and uh, an uh, alien abduction experience uh, that described uh, graves uh, lo- uh, Entities with oval dark eyes, did not blink, etc. But what it is important is these uh, entities showed Joshua, quote, bad aliens that had dark skin with many small bumps on them like a reptile. And the key point is the aliens said they did not fight them with weapons or try to destroy them, but they kept them at bay with their minds. My question is, has there been any other reports that reptilians are hostile, or are they more benevolent and friendly toward the human race? All right. Well, I believe that there are
2: those that are benevolent, and I think those, there are those that are evil. Um, it is the common law of nature, and it cannot be disregarded, that there's the positive and negative polarity of absolutely everything even an atom has a positive and negative pull to it. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about human nature as well as nature of a living life form, I think that we are able to fluctuate between the negative and the positive polarities of whether we want to be good or evil as a matter of free will. Just as there are some people who may live in foreign countries under a a crazy dictator who um, support perhaps, you know, uh, public executions of of large masses of people, there are those beings like Mother Teresa, and I think that's, I think you bring up a very good point, and that point is, it's this great deceit that we come into that everybody's worried about, is that we're, we, we have to look within ourselves and know within ourselves exactly who or what we're looking at. They say, there's an the old saying, is know thee by thy deeds. Mm-hmm. You know, know, know somebody... By what they're doing, not by what they're saying or what they look like.
0: Well, it sounds like that man should personally communicate with you.
2: Oh yeah, I openly invite you to. I think that there's a lot to, I think there's a lot to learn between the two of us.
0: All right, uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with John Rhodes. Where are you calling from, please?
4: Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yes, sir. Um, I've studied reptiles for many years, and one of the things about reptiles that's rather interesting is that the males genitalia are located in many species, most species on both sides of the tail. There are two, uh, and they have very unique shapes uh, in such a manner that they will uniquely fit the female of that species and, and, and no other. There was a comment earlier about uh, 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 rape of abductees, and it seems to me that this would be one interesting way to try to you know, validate those. Well, that's an
2: interesting point you're bringing up. I don't know the particulars of what you're talking about uh, as regards to the the sexual genitalia of the reptile as opposed to the human being. That's something that I haven't really looked into, so I couldn't give you an informative opinion on that.
4: Well, if for no other reason that most reptiles have two, uh, that ought to be an interesting cross-check and the fact that these things are very oddly shaped, very, very oddly shaped.
2: And probably quite popular.
4: Uh, and they, they would they would probably be very painful. As a matter of fact, well, um,
2: I know that uh, there are the reports of the forced rapes, and um, I'm not sure if this, if there are different reptilians as far as different physical species of them. But then again, you know, there's human differences of our own species, like you have the pygmy, and then you have the you know the tall people of Africa, and then you have the albinos. So I'm not. I'm not willing to say at this time as to, you know, as to whether they are just of one type.
0: All right. Here's you know? a, a fact for you. Yes, the primitive brain positioned on top of the human spinal cord has long been referred to as the reptilian brain by academics. This information is not news. The primitive human brain, often referred to as the reptilian brain, performs the usual and ordinary biological functions which are common. With the reptile and higher vertebrates, breath, hunger, thirst, uh, excretion, sex, and so forth, would your guess not agree the great developmental divide between the reptile and the higher vertebrates is the affection of the parent for the young? The reptile and lower animal classes abandon the egg or young upon discharge. The reptile does not protect, feed, or care for its young. The higher vertebrates, beyond and above reptilian biological divide, care for the young in varying degrees.
2: I couldn't have said it better myself. And that that fax, the person that sent that fax in, it's right on target. This possibly explains the the large amount of abductions with people where they're being made to hold the children. Because if it's in fact the case that they're looking at our affection for children as they apparently are doing, you know, through abductions where these ladies are made to hold the babies. Yes, oh yes. And then they sit back and watch and watch, and they're really amazed at it, and they're just taking in everything they can.
0: That's. I've heard many stories. This like
2: would that. make total sense. It really would.
0: It really would. And we've huh?
2: got to remember that the reptiles, primarily people think of them as giving birth to an egg. Well, there's the reptile like the adder, the, the snake, the, the adder that actually gives birth to um, its young without the egg. So... Hmm. You know, I I think that, uh, well, whoever sent that fax in, please
1: get in touch with me.
0: Uh, Well, the person sending the fax is named Don uh, from Redmond, Washington. So be so notified, Don. He'd like to hear from you. On the wild card line, you're on the air with John Rhodes.
4: Yes, this is Michael in Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. And I have a material comment about blackouts in the, the coast, both coasts. And if that has anything to do with Project HARP that I've heard related to on your show before?
0: Okay, uh, I would answer that. I think not. Um, uh, I don't know that for sure, but uh, I don't think the blackouts relate to HARP. Uh, they occurred uh, actually pr- uh, prior to HARP's beginning its activity, so I will leave that one there. First-time caller line, you're on the air with John Rhodes. Hi. Hi, Art. Uh, congratulations for a great show. This is New Orleans calling. New Orleans, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh,
4: Art, uh, several weeks ago you had a UFO uh, guest on that talked about UFOs and he brought up a particular incident where the um, United States
2: military had surrounded a uh, downed craft, uh, went on board, discovered that the occupants were um, uh, reptilian-type
4: occupants on board, and uh, went apparently in uh, an alcove of this... Spaceship discovered uh, human
2: remains, human bones, and I mm-hmm. was wondering if your guest had uh, any knowledge of that incident or any similar incidents.
0: John. Well,
2: I don't have any knowledge of that particular incident. As far as reports of them having uh, the remains of human beings on board, um, it's quite possible. Um, I wouldn't say it. I wouldn't say that they were the cause of that person's demise, um, but they could have
0: been. All uh, right. I'm going to ask you about two. I'm going to give you two weird questions. You can ignore them if you like. Um, We mentioned Journey to the Center of the Earth earlier. If you had an opportunity, John, to travel very, very deeply into the Earth, if you found a porthole that would take you there, would you go?
2: Yes. I would not go without deep prayer beforehand.
0: But you would go? Yes. Uh, The next question... um, involves an Associated Press story a number of years ago that has always stuck with me somewhere in uh, Scandinavia I can't recall where it was they drilled what they thought to be the deepest hole ever drilled by man and maybe maybe you can update me they lowered microphones sound microphones into this hole and they heard sounds of human agony and screaming and torture Thousands of voices, or what appeared to be that. And they actually ran that on the Associated Press. Now, I remember the story and held it in my hand off the wire and talked about it. It was really weird. And then you never heard anything more about it. How deeply have we ever gone into the earth? Do you know?
2: Well, I do know that the according to Rand Corporation documents and the documents from, like, uh, uh, DARPA and such agencies, they've said that there have been studies to um, actually build underground bases as far as 8,000 feet underground.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, that's quite a b- distance.
0: It sure is. Um,
2: it, it appears, from what I've been able to see, that uh, as far as tectonic plate shift and, and earthquakes, most earthquakes happen on a, on a fairly shallow level. And there is a theory out that the deeper you go, the actual sa- it is safer for you to be and that if anything did shift over you with the current technology with the, like the nuclear boring tunnel uh, boring machines that they have that you could just drill your way out as yeah. far as as far as the as far as the screams and everything
0: um and had had you ever heard that report
2: yeah i I'd, I'd heard the report i mean did they drill through the uh, the ceiling of hell
0: i, I mean get, yeah, well was, that's the obvious implication implication
2: sure. right and it could be maybe that everybody was imagining that that's what they were going to do hmm. So, and that's just what they heard. Maybe it was a collective, you know, hypnosis of
0: some sort. Maybe it was. Uh, the right. only thing about it was they claimed they had it on audio tape. <laughs>
2: well, I haven't heard it.
0: Uh, and I would love to. John? Yeah, I would too. Hold on. We'll be right back to you. John, this has been so interesting. There's been so much response that, A, we will have you back on Dreamland again. And B, I might think about having you on one Friday night, Saturday morning, uh, if you have the time on the regular syndicated program. That,
2: that's the marathon program you have?
0: <laughs> you can call it the marathon program, yeah, I guess. Yeah, five hours a night. That's right.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great.
0: Uh, it is great. It's a lot of fun. And if you ever get a, do you ever stay up late?
2: Well, I try. I try not to, but I, I tend to be up at many times, two, three in the morning, at my computer doing my research and writing.
0: I understand. So
2: I do enjoy your shows. Okay,
0: well then maybe uh, maybe one night uh, we'll plan ahead, and on a Friday night, Saturday morning, you can go get a nap on Friday, and uh, we'll we'll do a show. I I think that could be possible. Uh, It is fascinating, John, because of the... I I think there's a natural human curiosity about what is below us. We almost know more about what is above us uh, at this point than what is below us, don't we?
2: Yes, and it's been very difficult for researchers such as Tal and and Cherry Hinkle and, and Bill Hamilton and the others to be able to put this word out about we have to start looking underneath our feet. I think the majority of the reason why... It's been so hard to have other researchers in the field take it seriously, as seriously as it should be taken. Is number one, with the advent of video cameras, it's easy for us to start getting hooked on looking above our heads because it's just right there for us at times. Sure. And when it's underground, we really don't have, we don't have anywhere to go with that, other than to look at the logic and listen to the information that's being provided. Um, many of these installations and and. Uh, natural cavern systems are very inaccessible. Uh, The one, for example, in the Grand Canyon that I discovered is extremely dangerous to try and get to. And um, uh, I wouldn't suggest that anybody, you know, should they find something like that, just go alone.
0: Don't try this.
5: Absolutely not.
0: All right. Uh, East of the Rockies, you're on the air with John Rhodes. Hi. Uh,
5: Yes, I'm calling from St. Louis. St. Louis, yes, sir. Yes, I have a friend of mine, I I read a book once about uh, underground caverns and stuff, and this one guy I was talking to here at work, he uh, grew up in an area, uh, I believe it's Creve Core, but there's a lot of caves out in that area, and he said that uh, twice he's seen uh, some odd-looking creatures out there around these particular caves, and uh, he's offered many times to take me out there uh, to the area where it was at, but he says he knows exactly where they were coming from, and he said the one night that he got the best look at them, he said that he had uh, pulled off the side of, off side of the road in his car, you know, because he was changing a flat tire. Right. And he said that with his brake lights, he's seen these uh, two creatures, he said they were about four foot tall or something like that. He said they ran across one side of the road, he said they were like in his former field, and he said they ran in like a kind of hobbling fashion. And he said they jumped, you know, across the road over to these weeds on the other side toward the uh, caves. And he said, you know, with the brake lights, he could see them, you know. And he said that um, one of them stuck his head up through the weeds, you know, looking at him. And he said it was only like 40 feet away. And he said it had a large heads and it had large black eyes. So he said he jumped up and took off running, <laughs> you know, and left the car there, you know. I think I would, too. Yeah, have the tow truck driver go get it.
0: That's right. Yeah, but, <laughs> That's right.
5: but he's offered uh, many times to take me, you know, uh, to the area where uh, he said they're at. And also, I uh, know another guy. Uh, Sounds uh, like
0: you have not yet taken him up on that.
5: No, I didn't.
0: All right. Well, I, I don't blame you, sir. We don't have much time. We've got to run. Uh, John, given an opportunity to actually be abducted by some of the creatures that you suspect exist, or not be abducted, would you be curious enough to say, Okay, take me. I'm out of here. Uh, or, or would you be more tempted to run like hell?
4: Uh,
2: I think prime, it's one thing talking about an alien species, it's another thing looking at one eye to eye.
0: You betcha. I
2: mean, a lot of us don't understand that. and We can give lip service to, oh yeah, well, we're ready, you were ready, I'm ready, you know, but when one's sitting there close enough for you to feel its breath upon your forehead
0: <laughs> because right. of its size I agree. and its
2: muscular structure is so much more, I mean, more, much more profound than you could ever imagine, you'd feel so small and out of control that the first thing that goes is your knees. So. No, I wouldn't say that I'd be open for just anybody. I still feel that that's a violation. However, I believe that if we call upon our divine being within us during that time of an abduction, we can actually command in the name of that power within us for it to stop. I would not say that we're all victims. I think that many people starting at childhood give permission initially to be abducted because
0: they have no fear and they have this great wonderment. As All right. Do. Look, we're out of time. There's never enough time. Uh, yeah. Give out your address and phone number one more time. Because... Okay.
2: Um, if you'd like to receive a package of information concerning this, uh, send $10, money, order, or check. And if you'd like to receive the um, self-hypnosis cassette for abductees, the same amount, please add $2 additional for shipping and handling to John Rhodes, that's R-H-O-D-E-S, post office box 50381. Henderson, Nevada, 89016-0381, and if you need that address again, just call the voicemail. That's area code 702-391-3335, and I'd like to take this um, opportunity to really thank you very much for all the great work that you've been doing through all the years. Um, you know, you really have stepped out on the limb when you first started coming out with this information, Art, and you've actually created waves that have felt repercussions not only locally in nationally and internationally but i'm sure dimensionally as well
0: john and i you will
2: be remembered
0: thank you i i live on limbs uh, john rhodes will have you back thanks for being here
4: thank you very much Hart.
0: take care remember our bulletin uh, board number is area code 702-727-1709 to get a tape of this or any other program call one. 1- 800-917-4278 from the high desert adjacent to Dreamland. Good night. This has been Dreamland, a program dedicated to an examination of areas in the human experience, not easily nor neatly put in a box. Things seen at the edge of vision, awakening a part of the mind as yet not that. Yet things every bit as real as the air we breathe but don't see. Please join us again next week at this time for Dreamland.